Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Thank you, thank you, thank you that your spirit is here with us, that you will strengthen us, you will encourage us, you will guide us, give us perpetual wisdom, that we may be your Elijah's on Mount Carmel, that we would create an altar and douse it with water, even still to prove that you are the God who sends fire. There's absolutely nothing. Thank you, Father. Nate, you're not allowed to leave Apple until your job's done. Don't know what that means. There's something to overturn (coughs) and push back on. Father, I thank you that you're gonna you're gonna send a running mate, a Silas, to Nate's pool. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> Amen. Right. We are. <laughs> Look at the time. Jehovah Rapha, I need you more now than ever before. Today I want to share um, a message called The First Compass. The First Compass. Um, I will use scriptures at the (laughs) instruction of our pastor. Um, There's quite a bit I've actually written down. Um, So maybe we'll go through it a little bit quicker than usual. The first compass. The compass, obviously, as we know, is is an instrument, a device that gives you a sense of perpetual direction and placement. Okay, it's not just to show you where to go, but it's also to show you where you are in relation to a particular thing. Obviously, a compass um, pointing north. Um, Whichever way you turn you are able to to work out your connection to north and therefore east, south, west. Okay? And the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to talk about the first compass. I said, Lord, how am I ever going to be able to do the research to find who created the first compass and whatnot? He said, don't worry, I'll show you. The first compass that was ever instituted here on earth or revealed on earth was the presence of God. That's it, that's the sermon. <laughs> the first compass is the presence of God. Is, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're about, talking about following the steer of the presence of God. If we are to do what the Lord has said, and that is to build a new tabernacle, and I'm talking about physically, to, to move into a new building and establish a new tabernacle, then in the same way as Moses said, Lord, let us not go. If your presence be not with us, let us not go. In Exodus 33, that should also be our our heart. Now we're going to look at um, the story of the Israelites as they transitioned out of Egypt into Canaan. Okay, there are certain parallels I'm going to draw between that story and our story and that story and the story of the UK. I'm going to try to get it done in record time. Now can you imagine 
Like, can you imagine? The Israelites have been in, in Egypt for 400 years. Okay, and the first thing that the Lord had to do was to break the silence. Okay? In the absence of a formalized nation and under the weight of centuries of enslavement, the voice of the Lord hadn't been heard by Jacob's descendants in many, many years. There was no collective worship, no priests, likely no collective sacrifices or formalized religious activity. God, unfortunately, had been sidelined, and this was the first barrier Moses had to overcome. Okay? Moses is, is, is in the wilderness, um, on the run, obviously, from Pharaoh, gets married, has kids, probably gets a little bit settled. But that's not the place he was called to be. And so the Lord says... I think it's Exodus 2. Um, and he's, he's, he's there in, in, the, in the wilderness... And he's there and he finds he comes across this burning bush. He sees he sees a bush on fire that is not consumed. I always love that phrase. There's certain phrases in the Bible that you just remember, don't you? He sees a bush on fire that is not consumed. He now me, I would probably wouldn't want to walk close to it, but something about that attracts him. Let's go to Exodus two actually. Start there. I was going to start in Exodus 3, but I think 2 is important to have. Thank you, Father. Exodus 2, um, 24. And this is, this is context before the burning bush, okay? It says, And God heard their sighing and groaning, and earnestly remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. So before God shows up in his burning bush, before God shows up to anoint a deliverer, what's the first thing that it says that he does? He remembers his covenant. Okay? Why is this important? Because enslavement was not evidence of the covenant being broken. The fact that they were in Egypt, the fact that they had... 400 years disconnected from their heritage, from their inheritance, from their promises, from the land that he had given them, the fact that this has happened wasn't evidence that his covenant had been broken. That is important because sometimes when you're in those situations, it's easy to look at Commonwealth and say, well, the fact that you got kicked out of your building, the fact that you haven't managed to secure a building in 10 odd years, the fact that your numbers have dwindled, the fact that you've had this happen, this has happened, well, maybe God is not with you. Maybe his covenant's been broken. Maybe you've done wrong. Maybe you're the one in error. Okay? And sometimes those are the thoughts that may cross your mind. But the first thing that God wants, us, wants to remind us about is even in our present situation, his covenant has not been broken. Every single promise of God that he has given to this church from, what, 1988 onwards, every single one still remains. So whichever one you can remember, whichever visit from whichever general, whether it be um, Sean Foy, Rick Joyner, Leonard, whoever it is, Ray Hughes, whichever message you remember, whether it's Pastor Rob, Pastor Ed, um, maybe it was Esco in the moment of worship, Emmanuel, Neville Blunt, 
Nate, whoever, okay? Whichever one you remember, his covenant has not been broken. His covenant has not been broken. They were still his. And that's what he remembered. And because of that, he then decides to move. Now, like I said, they hadn't heard his voice in that kind of collective to the nation um, for a while. And so now we're in a situation where he has to now break the silence. After 400 years without prophetic direction, he now has to show up and say, right, here's, here's my plan. Here's my purpose. Here's what I'm saying. So he breaks the silence in Exodus, and we're going to go to Exodus 3, 13 to 16. So he's, he's, he's said to, okay, let's go with 12. Start at 12. So he's given, given Moses the instruction what to do, and this is how he ends it. He says, God said, I will surely be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, Horeb or Sinai. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, ancestors have sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? The Israelites would, Moses saying, look, I'm going to come, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to say to them, right, the Lord is, is delivering you. But their response is going to be, what's his name? Who are you talking about? Because it's been a while since we've heard his voice. Who is it? I think earlier in the scripture says a generation rose up who didn't know the God of Joseph. What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Then God also said to Moses, this is what you shall say to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Israel, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Verse 16, go gather the elders, tribal leaders of Israel together, and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appear to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. It's interesting here. Lord, who, who shall I say sent me? What? How shall I introduce you? He says, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Every time I read that kind of description, that kind of, uh, description of the, the father, that reminds me of covenant. When we call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're not just speaking about the fact that they had a relationship. No, that speaks to the covenant he established with Abraham, that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so when God was, when, when Moses was going back to the Israelites, to present to them this God who they hadn't heard from in a number of years, God said, present to them that I am the God of covenant. I'm the God of covenant. I'm the God who keeps his promises. Even though you're in, in, enslaved, even though you're in a tricky situation, I want you to relate to me as a God who has all-encompassing, the El Shaddai, Yahweh, you can call me whatever name, but make sure you remember and I'm the God who doesn't break covenant. And then he says to him, he says, 
go to the elders. Like I said, remember, there had been no formalised nation. They hadn't maybe come together. They all lived in Goshen, but in terms of maybe collective sacrifices, who knows what they were allowed to do. God had to reintroduce himself to his people via Moses. Moses had a general address to the people, but also to the elders. Why is that important? God wanted to address the power structure. So God says, right, go to the people who make the decisions. Don't just speak to the general folk, but go to the decision makers. Go to the ones who set the temperature. Go to the ones who set the culture. Okay? Go to the ones that I've appointed to rule and, and have stewardship over my people and remind them that I'm a covenant-keeping God. I believe God wanted to shift the direction of thought from individual worship to corporate worship. They had worshipped in their families. They all knew how to make sacrifices. We know that from later on in the narrative. When, you know, when God says, um, you know, offer up a lamb and whatnot, they, they knew that practice had been handed down from generation to generation. So there's evidence to suggest that families and whatnot, they had their customs and traditions. They hadn't completely forgotten but in terms of corporate worship, that's what God said, bring them to this mountain and gather them together and we'll worship here. He wanted to shift the direction of thought from individual worship to corporate worship and it would be that worship, the pursuit of his presence through adoration and sacrifice, that now would become their national identity. Okay? So what they would be known for would be the pursuit of his presence and the hosting of his presence. The Lord said to me, consider the UK. After years enslaved to the religion of self, the Lord is releasing his voice once again. It is not that he stops speaking. Never assume that silence is an error on his part. Rather that there is a retuning of the spiritual antennae of this nation to hear the call of the Father once again. Enslavement is not evidence of his covenant to this nation being broken. He has not forgotten Wesley, Spurgeon and the others who set the spiritual temperature for this nation. As we, Commonwealth Christian Fellowship, prepare to return to central London, those areas, we return with a message in our mouths. The message is simple. It is a message of reconciliation, as promised in 2 Corinthians 5. And it simply says, the God of your fathers, England... The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. It is incredibly strategic where our next building is. Yeah? It was strategic the first time out, and it will always be strategic. Part of our DNA is to be pioneers, but also part of our DNA is to be gatekeepers. We've always been a church that's harbored creatives. If you, if you study creativity throughout history, cre- creatives tend to be the gatekeepers of culture. Okay? If you look at where the creatives are going, you'll see where culture's going, you see where society's going. Social media is a great example of this, and the rise therein of tech and the embedding of tech in our, into our lives. So now, we, you know, I'm preaching from a Bible, not, a, not an actual, you know, paper Bible. It's on my phone. My notes are on my phone. I'd use my iPad. I'd use my laptop. I'd, tech is how we 
engaged. But it meant that 40, 50 years ago, someone had to have an idea that if they connect this silicon with that silicon and this carbon chip with that carbon chip, it would produce these desired results and bam, 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 bang, programming. And from that point on till now, there's been a setting of culture. You know, we see it with, with Apple. Apple's success wasn't necessarily just because they had great tech. Their success was because when they reintroduced themselves, I think, early 90s, they came with these adverts which married into the culture. They marry into music. Headphones, Beats by Dre. If I can get the athletes to be wearing these headphones and I can get the 13-year-old kid in South London to want them. Okay? So we set culture by allying ourselves with the creatives. And this church has always been a church that's harbored creatives, has always produced creatives, and it, 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 it's the fertile ground in which creatives are, are sown, they then harvest, and then we release them into the world. And so all around this nation, you have evidence of the creativity that this church has birthed. And it's speaking to power structures, it's speaking to demographics that we can't even reach. How do I know that? I was on Songs of Praise last week with Lucy. I, trust me, when we recorded that, it was a group of people I will never meet again in my life. It was not the usual crowd I'm in front of. That's all I'm going to say, okay? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure I have much in common with, you know, these individuals, but we love Jesus. And as soon as that first song started and all the other songs, and we did one, take one, two, three, four, five, and you, you felt the presence of God just start to fill this church. And there's, you know, this lady, she's in her 80s, and, you know, I don't know. What does she have in common with a kid from Croydon? But God will use creativity to bridge that gap. And all of a sudden, I brought her into a revelation of Christ that she may not have had before. Who knows what that happened? What happens to her after that point? Who knows how that blesses her and her household and her grandkids when she's telling them a bedtime story? She tells them about nothing can separate you from the love of God because that was a song she heard on the Sunday, on the, the songs of praise. So we have this responsibility as a church when we move to ensure that we're outward looking. Okay? And that's the mandate the Lord is putting on us to be able to speak to the elders of the nation to speak to the political realm and say, look, the Lord of your fathers, that is his name, and he will be here from generation to generation. Why the wilderness? Why the wilderness? Why, why did he not just take them this way, that way, boom? Why 40 years in the wilderness? I've shared this before. The wilderness is a place of rewilding, Okay? Now, I went on a couple green-fingered websites to find out what rewilding is. And put simply, rewilding is all about returning land or oceans to a more natural and therefore wilder state. Okay? So actually, in truth, <laughs> that's what I've been doing with my garden, um, <laughs> And then it goes to a more natural, wild state. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you, Jesus. That's my answer. All these months. Look at that, babe. Wow. God just answered my prayer. <laughs> Sorry. This often means, this is what the website said, this often means doing nothing 
and let nature take over to create more biodiverse areas. There is something <coughs> inherent in creativity and in creation that produces wildness. And mankind, I think it's because of this authority thing that we have, has actually limited the wild, the wild. And we put things into boxes. We, our trees grow here, and if it's too much, we cut them down, and we have one every 20 paces, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Creativity is, is, is boxed in. It has boundaries. It has limits. But if you were to leave this, this area out here, it would overgrow, and we would see that as a problem. But what it's actually doing is doing its natural thing. It's following its natural path. Its natural path is to have an abundance. So what we call overgrowth, he calls abundance. Because within each seed is the power to create more. So it produces ten instead of just the one. Okay? And it does that by just letting... You don't even have to, you don't have to do anything. You just let nature take over. This is why we are often in wilderness moments or seasons. Why? Because the Lord wants our, na- our true nature to now take over so that we then result in an abundance and overgrowth. Why, it's interesting because why would you think that to, to create overgrowth and, and, and to, to have an abundance, you'd put it in wilderness? Because actually when you cut it off from the things it has been used to relying on, it then has to allow that which is within its nature to take place, to come to, come to light. Why? The wilderness is the place of exuberant faith. The conditions are perfect for exuberant faith. Why? Because you ain't got nothing to rely on. When, when you're without a job, you start realising what gyro really means. Okay? Okay, let me get out of your business. As a church... Over the past 10, 12 years or whatever, we have learned what gyro means. At every given point, there's been another building. I don't think there's ever been a Sunday where we've had to cancel because we couldn't get a building. We haven't had to shut down. We haven't had to say, guys, for the next two, three months, we ain't got no money, can't pay a rent on this building, we can't pay for that hotel. There has always been provision. Now, we may not know how close we have come to extinction, we don't know how close we've got to when pastor's looking at it and going you know maybe the trustees are having uncomfortable conversations and whatnot. Jean would know Jean's in that office doing intercession at the Mac Lord help us pastor, pastor we've got two weeks left no I'm joking and that's where exuberant faith starts to thrive we have no reliance on surroundings to support, provide, and protect, and therefore faith is expressed in its purest form. You can't turn to, you know, I remember at uni, you can't turn to the bank of mum and dad. You've got to figure it out yourself. Go get a job. <laughs> You've got to rely on God. You've got to learn how to pray without ceasing. You've got to learn how to hold on to him and wrestle with him until he blesses you. Where before things were a little bit easier, things were, you know, things would just come and sometimes you wouldn't even recognise it was God. Because it was like manna, isn't it? You just, oh, it's just there. Now you've got to till the ground. Now you've got to actually work for it. 
Faith is expressed in its purest form. The expression of pure faith goes hand in hand with the position of rest. We looked at this last time. Now, in the position of rest, the voice that self has is put down. Right? Self dies. The flesh dies when you're in a position of rest and absolute trust and confidence on the Father. And as you learn to remain seated in his love and favour, you then begin to operate as sons who believe and not slaves who do. You learn to operate as sons who believe and not slaves who do. Okay? This is why the wilderness is key. This is why those moments in our lives shouldn't be... Um, shouldn't intimidate, they should inspire. Okay, and it could be anything. It could be, let's say, battling with your health. And you think, Lord, what am I, why for a year has this thing been tormenting my head? But it's rewilding me. It's letting my inherent nature of son of, uh, as a son of God take over. So where before I might have relied on other things to get me through, now I have to operate as a son because I have to believe to be able to wake up in the morning and go to work. I experienced this week. Wednesday night, I was in, what time? I got back at 3.15. I left work early because the pain was so much. I've been in pain since 8.30 that morning. I left work early, 3.15. I got home by 3.15 and pretty much went straight to bed. Didn't I? I was pretty much in bed until about 10. I remember sending an email to my, uh, my boss at work and said, I don't know if I'm going to be in tomorrow. I felt drained. <laughs> Denise was like, how do you feel? So I feel like I've been in 12 rounds. It was just, you know, even walking up the stairs, I'm like, just out of breath, it's, it's this, it's that. And you don't know if you're going to work the next day. Now, for some of you, that might be just, that might be a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I had a meeting the first thing, I had a lesson to teach, I had this, I had that, all these things I had to do. Parents to speak to, I had a meeting with this person, that person. And I'm like, Lord, I do not know if when I wake up in the morning I'll have enough strength to get out of bed. That's how bad it got. So as a son, I have to trust him. Because a slave would look for things to do in order to make things work. As a son, I said, all right, I'm just going to go to sleep and see what happens in the morning. And I trust you. And I went to work the next day. My colleagues were like, oh, I thought you'd been taking the day off. Now, God is good. I'm here. If Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, why do we assume that we will be any different? What's the phrase? If it's good for the... If Jesus was led... And this is, it's a scripture that messes me up every time I read it. Matthew 4, 1, I think. And Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Or in other translations, and the Holy Spirit led Jesus into work. Whichever way you read it. There we go. He was guided. <laughs> See, the Amplified has to go one step further, doesn't it? It's not that he was led. It was he was guided. Like, literally, so Jesus, which way do I go? This way, into the desert. Into the place where there is nothing. Into the place where there is no self-sufficiency. That is where you must now go. And Jesus says, yes. And he obeys. This is after he'd just been baptised, heavens break, break open, 
the voice of the Lord comes out and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John is there going, I saw a dove come upon him. All these pronouncements, right? At that moment, the highest moment of Jesus' uh, fledgling career, you know, he's just been ordained, as it were. Best ordination um, service you can imagine. Can you imagine that? You set yourself in as pastor and the dove shows up. You know, it's pretty, pretty good going. And the next thing that happens, and Jesus was led, guided by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I trust you with all my goings, every which way, every step is ordered by the Lord. Okay, walk this way. That looks like that's a... <laughs> there's no vegetation there. There's no sustenance there. I don't see water. I don't see a pool of, of refreshing in that direction. The path looks a little bit dodgy, a little bit dry. I'm not sure I've got the footwear for this, this terrain. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the way I want you to walk. That's the way I want you to go. Oh, Lord, we're, we're a bustling church. We've got two services. We've even got a middle service for soaking. Um, we've got children's ministry. We've got a big, massive band. We've got in-ear systems. We've got all this stuff. We've got songwriters. We're hosting these people from, from the overseas. Yes, that person. Yeah, that person. Oh, yeah, we look real good now. Uh, yeah, but this is the way I want you to go. But that looks like we don't have a building. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, yeah, keep going. All right, we trust you. Six months. Okay, and then we start going six months into it. All right. Take that, take that hotel. Really? We haven't had to set up in years. What, what do we do now? Right, we need this, we need that. New roles are created, operations manager, all this stuff. And Nate mentioned earlier. And all these different roles that we didn't need to have before because everything just ran itself. You know, and now the rotor looks different because now people are like, oh, not sure I can make it this week, and such and such, etc. It's a bit of a long distance to come now. We've gone from central London to kind of this bit and then west and then south and then the pandemic hits oh what do we do now and and wilderness the Lord says keep going because the Holy Spirit has guided you that way keep going and as we are walking on this path the Lord is rewilding us he's saying come off I'm allowing you to return to your most natural state. And your most natural state is total dependency on me. <coughs> your most natural state, where you express yourself in your fullest and most beautiful and brightest rendition, is when you're trusting the Lord with all your heart. That's what we've had to learn. Week to week, Jonathan has to do five different roles, all of them a salary role in a, in a mega church. Right? And yeah, he comes in and does this one, and then does that one, and does this one. Please don't get annoyed when the words don't change as quick as you thought they should. Because maybe he was fixing the wire. <coughs> or maybe he was putting out five more chairs for a family that just walked in. Okay? So temper your expectations sometimes. <laughs> we have one person doing five things. Okay? I'm sorry, we don't have drums. You haven't heard a drum in about a year and a half. Neither have I. And it hurts. Someone's got to tap on the keyboard. I don't know whatever we've got to do, right? And you're, I'm up late on a Saturday night programming the little drum beat so everyone has something to sway to. Cool. That's, if that's what the wilderness looks like, exuberant faith, then I'll take it. It's the place where sonship is forged. Remember the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. When, when, when the enemy comes, he says, if you are the son of God, the test wasn't about hunger. The test wasn't about, you know, stone and bread and whatever. 
the test was the last thing you heard from the Lord 40 days ago, prove it in your own strength. Prove it in your own way. The Lord said you're a church of pioneers and all this stuff and you're going to give you the eastern gate, the western gate. You prophesy to the nations, the church of the nations, come on, we used to have all the flags going around our building and we pray for this international day, all these different things we used to have. The Lord has spoken all these things and the temptation of the enemy in this last moment in the wilderness is to prove it outside of faith. And our response must be, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Our response must be, what's that prophetic word say? What did he say through um, Elder Deji? What did he say through Elder Abby? What did he say through Pastor Roy? What did he say through Philippa? What did he say through Karen? What did he say that time through Bola? Let me find that and hold on to that, even as I'm walking on this dark terrain. Remember the transition of generations that Israel went through. Numbers 14, 28 to 32. We're just going to quickly look at this passage. Numbers 14. Twenty-eight to thirty-two. So contextually, what happened here? Um the, the Israelites sent scouts into um into Canaan. And they'd all returned, and only Joshua and Caleb saw things through the right perspective, through the eyes of faith. The others came back, and they're scared, and they're saying, oh, listen, if we go in there, they're going to eat our children alive. Right? We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. <laughs> God says to them, through Moses, say to them, as I live, listen, when God says, as I live, because he's eternal, why would you need that as a, as a counterpart for your promise? As I live, says the Lord, just what you have spoken in my hearing, I will most certainly do to you. Your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. Even all of you who were numbered of you, your entire number from 20 years old and upward who have murmured against me. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, not one of you shall enter the land in which I swore an oath to settle you. But your children, whom you said will become plunder, I will bring in, and they will know the land which you have despised and rejected. As for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Basically, the Lord said to you, as you have spoken, so shall it be done. They said, oh, we're going to die, we're going to perish. He said, well, if that's, if that's your view on things, I'll allow it to happen. You've told me where your heart is. You've told me where your um, faith is. You've put more faith um, or, or your, your viewpoint is more on these giants and grasshoppers. You're, you're more concerned about that as opposed to my strength as I should die. So for the next 40 years, I'm going to take you on a journey so I can get rid of you guys who don't have any faith. And it's like the Lord will show me he purified Israel. And he took all the young ones, all the ones who were under 20. And he said, I'm going to get you guys to be the ones that inherit the promise. Why? Because everyone over 20 had lived as a slave. And we learn from Galatians that slaves don't inherit promises. Sons do. So the Lord had to get rid of the mentality of the slave. Okay, And guys, I, I would encourage you, it is worth studying out this stuff throughout the whole of Scripture. Right? Slaves versus sons. All the way from Exodus all the way to, through to Galatians. 
It's an incredible revelation in there when you start to realise how you should position yourself. It changes the way you pray, changes the way you speak, changes what you believe, etc., etc. Okay? Slaves don't inherit promises. So God says, look, the slave in you looks at these giants and says, oh my gosh, there's no way we have any strength to take this, this land. And he says, okay, cool. You said it, not me. You said it, not me. So I will give you guys the land, but I'll give it to the sons. I'll give it to the sons and daughters, those who grow up without the notion of what it means to live in chains. Those who I can reintroduce myself as a covenant-keeping God, and they say yes, as opposed to find me a golden calf. Remember Romans 8. So we, we said, remember Jesus in Matthew 4. Remember this transition of generations in Numbers 14, 28 to 32. Both things happened in, in the wilderness. But also remember Romans 8. We're not necessarily going to turn there, but we talked about this a few months ago. Sons are birthed from the ruins of condemnation. When the Lord frees you from condemnation, he begins to show you the um, perpetual power of the gospel of grace. Like This is just looking at Romans 8 as we go through each scripture. So, therefore now there is um, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next thing he begins to talk about is how he found a way through Christ to do what the law couldn't. And then we shift into this, you are not those who keep the law. And then out of that he says, you are an heir and co-heir with Christ. Indeed, if you share in his suffering, that you may share in his glory. For I consider the present glory. So many things in there. Signs are birthed from the ruins of condemnation. When you, when you live free from condemnation, you inherit sonship. And to inherit sonship is to inherit the promises of God. That's why we had to have that service all those months ago. Because the wilderness is the place of God's jealousy. It's the place where he literally spends every day obsessing over you in love. And that's all you can ever see because you have nothing else to rely on. And so for the past however many years, as we've been in this transitionary period, this wilderness moment, the Lord has been bombarding us with, with his love, with his, with his grace, with his blessing, okay, to the point where we now can stand here as sons and daughters and say, yes, we're ready to inherit the promises of God. But it has to be all of us. It cannot be the ones and twos. It cannot be just... Joshua and Caleb, even Joshua and Caleb had to find themselves a new generation in which to fit. Because there's something about the power of unity. I was saying this to Dave last week. I remember um, the Tower of Babel. We always read that story and see it in a negative, and you know, they, they aspired to build a tower to touch heaven. But there's, there's little nuggets in there that we can take. The Lord says, I know the power when they come together. When they all speak the same language, this thing they have purpose in their heart, they will be able to do. So flip it around the other way. If we, sons and daughters of grace, could have the same language where we all speak free from condemnation, this thing we have purpose in our heart, we will be able to do. Do you understand why it's so important that he says every single one, not one of them, could be left behind? Because he wants a generation purged by the travails of the wilderness, where we've learnt what it means to be sons and daughters. 
The thing is, guys, time away is time well spent. Time away is time well spent. Because intimacy breeds familiarity. Intimacy breeds familiarity. We have learnt to familiarise ourselves with his voice in a manner unlike before. The Lord showed me this this morning. Before, prophetic song was reserved for moments of creative expression after we've maybe sung a few songs written by others. Now, our own prophetic song has become a core foundation of our church experience. It doesn't surprise you when you hear a song that we've written. If I was to say, oh, we're doing a song that we've written, okay. It's now at the core of our church experience. So now Cynthia doesn't always have to be the one coming up and saying, hey, guys, here's how to sing in the spirit. Here's how to interpret what the Lord's doing over these four chords or what he's releasing. Now, time and time again, members of the West team are just coming up with these ideas, these songs, framing scripture in song and, and, and highlighting the journey and the testimony of this, this church. Consider how this prophetic song has now become a core foundation of our experience. Or maybe even consider the synergy between five voices who never compare notes but provide a tapestry of divine revelation. Right? You have a different person sharing each week. We never compare notes. The group chat is just merely a rotor and a well done. We never say, oh, I'm doing this. I'm going to talk about this. Never. Never. And yet there is a synergy week to week. Not one word falls to the ground and lays idle. The Lord even showed me even the sincerity and humility of pastor's heart to even allow more than one to speak. It's different. They go to most churches, maybe the lead pastor will share most weeks. He's the man of the hour with the power. (laughs) The Lord said, no, no, no. Not Commonwealth. I can do it differently. I can do it differently. It's not an ideal situation that has brought it about, but I can do it differently. I can shift it, and yet still we don't lose any ground. If anything, we increase in tempo. And all of a sudden you're hearing the same message, but from five, which then proves that you in your... Because you might be next, you might be number six. And I will gladly add you to the group chat. (laughs) We'll give you a week. (laughs) Or two. Midweeks, now midweeks, different people from the congregation sharing. Here's what the Lord is saying right now. This is what the Lord is saying to us Wednesday 28th, Wednesday 2nd, whatever the date may be. There's a synergy and all these inner gifts are being honoured. This is what our time of isolation has birthed. When we don't have the prying eyes, when we don't have the cameras, we don't have... The big bright lights. I've been in those situations. I've been in churches like that, um, both, you know, obviously doing the odd ministry or whatever, but also, you know, as a member of a a large church organisation when I was at university. I've seen it, and it's great. It has its attraction. But there's something special about what's been um, purified in this moment. That I can leave here and I can say every single person I might speak to, or I can arrive and say every person I might speak to today speaks the same language. I know that's a man and woman of faith. That's a man and woman who knows about the grace of God. I'm not talking about just in terms of um, some sort of public speaking and everyone can get up and share. I'm not talking about that side of things, because that's what we often relegate it to. 
I'm talking about heart-to-heart connection. That every single person you lay eyes upon in this church has that same burning heart to see the promises of God made manifest. The first compass was this cloud that resided over the Israelites' camp. Imagine what that might have looked like, guys. See a pillar, cloud by day and fire by night. The Lord said to me, we are to follow the cloud. That's our compass. We go from the many gods to the one. The Israelites went from being in an environment and an atmosphere in a nation which served many gods to relearning what it meant to serve just one. From, uh, so I did a bit of research. The, the, um, you know when they said, oh, make us a golden calf. Did a bit of research. Um, scholars believe that calf was the Egyptian god called Apis, A-P-I-S. Do you know what one of the interesting functions they attributed to this god? That this god was an intermediary between heaven and earth. That it was one of the few Egyptian gods that had come from heaven to earth to bring messages to the people. Israel, in that time of panic or whatever, turned to what they had seen, what they believed. And they were like, the Egyptian gods, they they gave them victory in war. They gave them um, a nation. They gave them an empire. They gave them, you know, all these different monuments and and strength and success in the natural. We've seen it work. We've been in there for 400 years. Give us one of them. And they relied on the many as opposed to the one. The cloud transitions us from trusting the many and it shows us the importance of the one. From the idols of money, sex, self, whatever it is that society is is trumpeting at whichever time, we have learned over the, the past few years in this wilderness moment to divorce ourselves from attaching our success or our confidence to how much money we've got in the church account, how many numbers we've got on a weekly basis. All these things, you know, when people say, oh, is your church a big church? What do you define it by? Is it a big church? Well, if someone jumped out of a wheelchair with just 15 of us, that's pretty big. Yes? Yeah. Why does it have to be 300? Why does it have to be 500? Can't it be 20 and the sick are being healed every week? Because my question is, when we have 300, were the sick being healed every week? And if they were, what was the point? Let's be real. If we were singing all these great songs and having all the bright lights and staging and drums and everything, there was no sick being healed. I'm just using that because that's my thing. What's the point? We ate our own food. It's not a buffet for the nations. We just went there and got fat. (laughs) One of my old pastors used to say, there's no point. God has called us to be a river, not a reservoir. reservoir water goes in and it's stored and you only do that from a position of fear that you fear lack so you keep it all to yourself right every nation they have reservoirs of water reservoirs of power reservoirs of money just in case something happens we'll have this in the kitty and so many churches have become reservoirs where all this power and faith and what has been stored up and yet the Lord said be a river out of your belly shall flow rivers 
we've transitioned from these golden calves, the, the apis, this Egyptian intermediary, to Jesus, the angel of the Lord, commander of heaven and earth. When Joshua, when they cross over and Joshua needs a tactic in Joshua 6 for how to take Jericho, he meets with the angel of the Lord. He meets with a, what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnation manifestation of Christ. Okay, so when Christ shows up in the Old Testament and he meets him, how we know it's Christ? He says, are you for me or against me? He says, don't worry about that. <laughs> That's not the question. You need to work out whether you're for me or against me. <laughs> so he meets with Christ and Christ gives him the tactics to how to take this city. Now, the last thing I want to share. Imagine a wilderness tribe Okay, who sent scouts at night to scout the Israelite camp. Okay, As they come over the mountaintop, this has always been in my head. This, I've never shared this before. I've had this in my head for about 10 years. This is how I imagine things. Imagine the scout. It comes over the mountaintop to see what the Israelites are about, to estimate their strength. And the first thing they see, they see tribes arranged around this tabernacle. They see them this way, that way, that way, that way. They see these tribes arranged in a cross. So you come over the mountain and the first thing you see is a cross. But then you also see a tower of fire emanating from the center of the camp. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? The, I don't know, give me one then. Hittites, Amalekites, they come over there and they go, and what you report back to your chief, well, what did you see? I saw a tower of fire from the ground to the heavens. What else did you see? I saw them arrayed like a cross. So should it be with us. When the enemy comes around the mountaintop to attack, Actually, I'm going to change this. So will it be with us. When the enemy comes to attack and he comes and sends his scouts out to see what CCF are about, this is what he's going to see. He's going to see a burning fire of the Prince of God in our midst. And he will see a church shaped in the form of the cross of Calvary. The Lord said to me years ago, he said... Um, there's a measure of presence that I'm going to anoint you with as a, a church unlike anything you've ever seen before. I've felt it, I've experienced it in my times of prayer. Every so often the Lord will show up and he would remind me of that scripture. I'll say yes and then he goes, Whew. I was praying this morning in that same room with the southern facing window. Same room with that chair which... I sat on on December 23rd, 2017 when he showed up and I was thinking about it this morning as I was praying and the Lord said to me, he said, consider the walls. I said, what? He said, "Look, think about your walls of this room. Every molecule that has been exposed to my presence over the years. That when you pray, and there's, uh, this is how it, it happens for me, don't know about you, but I'll be praying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And then I hear this, and then he's there. 
And the Lord said, it's not just you engaging, even the plaster in the walls, the molecules, they tingle at my approach. The carpet, the old fireplace, the structures of the, the whatever, the metal starts to resonate because the creator is here. Think about this room, the windows, the, the books. You may not know it, you may not be aware, but it's something to let your mind run amok and just, just start to consider that every time he shows up, it's not just us being affected, it's every single thing in this room. The arrangement of the polymers and the plastic of the chair, it, it, it has some sort of excitement. How do I know? Because creation is waiting for the manifestation. Oh yeah, but it's man-made. Yeah, but it's based on, there is creation in there. There's molecules that have been formatted. They have a resonance. They have a something at their core which enables them to vibrate. And then when he shows up, ah, oh, when you sit in that chair, it's, oh, the king is here. It's different to when someone else sits in that chair. It's different to some, when someone who is not of him walks into a room. Think about your boardroom at work. When you walk in, the table begins to get excited because there was a Christian in the room and the presence of God has entered. It's an incredible thing to think of. Even the air changes. You know when someone's depressed and they walk into a room and you sense it? How about someone full of joy? Anyone coming in right now? As soon as, as soon as, right? As soon as, said, as soon as you hear his voice, hear it, we heard it in worship earlier, and you heard people start to laugh, you heard people start to, because the atmosphere was being affected by someone who's grasped the revelation, even though it's tender age, he's grasped the revelation of the goodness of God. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us, because what has he been exposed to? The goodness of God. And the scripture talks about Jesus said, you know, it talks about Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then in later one, he says, you are the light of the world. I believe it's the same word in the Greek, photon, I think it is. Similar to how we get photo photography. Why? Because the light you behold is the light that you become. So we've spent years in this wilderness period gazing upon this cloud, the pillar, the, the fire by night, We've written songs about it. We've stared into it. We've allowed it to guide us. We, we had another building that we were going to go to before we came to this, this place. We went there, we sat. And I'm, I never forget this moment because it was, it was hilarious to me. We were sitting there and it, all things, probably I think the, the elders would agree with me, it looked like we were going to go for this building. Okay? It was almost like a, the, the estate, estate agent even said, I, this is pretty much a no-brainer. Had everything, even had a studio. Two floors, this, that, overflow, nice sound system, the stage, everything. And the pastor said, let's pray. And I remember the estate agent went, okay. And he went and sat at the back and he watched us start praying in tongues. And we just sat in our little areas in the, in the auditorium and we began to pray. And the pastor said to us, he said, right, I think that was the... Friday or Thursday, and said, by next Wednesday, we need to have an answer. Everything would have said yes. I still speak to that estate agent now. He says to me, I don't know why you have to go for it. 
And then I think it was Deji and another just got, nah, it's not the one. Why? Because we're not following human logic. We, we never know. The church could have been bankrupt. Right? Turns out that building didn't have issues with it. And there would have been a significant bill that we would have had to find the money for to deal with, to pay for the work to be done in that building. Money that I know we wouldn't have had at the time. So we're putting ourselves in battles that we don't need to be in because we don't want to listen to the voice of the Lord. We'd rather listen to the voice of logic and reason. Logic and reason says there's a building on the plate for you. Seats, however many hundred people, it's there. You're the first people in. They say, even said, I like you guys. I want you to have it. <laughs> I will put I will put in a good word. How many say agents you know like you? <laughs> I will put in a good word on your behalf to make sure you get it. And I had to call them and say, we're not going to go for it. Why? It's just we didn't feel like it was for us. And we end up here. I think that same week, that's when... Yeah? The Lord just pricks David's heart and David goes, oh, by the way, we've got, another, we've got a building that you guys can move into. We go from a ready-made building to a little school building, school hall around the corner. Then we end up here. Why? Because we're following the fire. Following the presence, the first compass. Father, we give you praise. Father, we thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the guidance of your presence. Father, as we <coughs> prepare to transition into something new, whatever that looks like, may our heart and our response still be the same. Lord, shall I go up? Will you give them to me? Lord, which way do we turn, left or right? Lord, is this the one? Lord, if your presence be not with us, let us not go. Father, speak to the prophets in the house that they may guide us and say, this is where the cloud is going next. Speak to the worshippers. Just absolutely just <laughs> send a deluge of your presence in our worship so that we become accustomed to hosting you in a manifest way so that we become accustomed, for those of us who hands burn, we become accustomed to the burning of our hands, the burning of our hearts. We become accustomed to what it feels like to have to chase you, even in silence, to hear your still small voice. It's not just go after the big, loud kaboom. But Father, actually to be able to have the sensitivity of our hearts, even in worship, to say, thus saith the Lord with utter confidence, because intimacy breeds familiarity. Blessed be your name, Father. Amen. Blessed be your name. Um, <coughs> there's, there is someone, I don't know whether they're in the room or not, who specifically over the last seven days asked the Lord for more of his presence. Is that person here? Dave. Cool. Father, we thank you for, for Dave. We thank you for his request. Lord, I thank you that this morning when you mentioned this to me you said there was one person at least who in the past seven days has asked me for more and father you said that you would show up in a real and manifest way mm. and that father uh, this i remember what you said you said from this point on they will be known as your burning one mm. so father the light that's already in him 
the fire that's already in him, Father, cause it to consume him beyond his wildest dreams. Thank you, Father. Like you said, that he will be known from this point on as a burning one. And Father, for anyone else who <clears throat> hears this message at any given time, whether it be now or in 20 years' time, Father God, and they have the same passion, visit them in the nighttime hours, visit them in the morning, visit them at lunchtime, visit them in whichever way you deem necessary. That your presence will be known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was something, guys, about, um, and it's the phrase the Lord keeps giving, saying to me, the manifest presence. Yeah. We all walk in the presence of God and we have that, but there's that switch, and that's what I call the moment, yeah. where you go from I'm with him to then it's like this something. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, experiencing obviously in my house, Nate experienced it in my house once. We, The Lord said to me to pray for him. He stayed at our house and I, okay, and we just found this moment. It's Exodus 33 moment where you're in the tent of meeting. It's one-on-one, face-to-face. And it becomes a habit. And it also becomes an addiction. Yeah. Where you realise, actually, <laughs> I'm going to use this example. This is wild. You know, when they talk about alcoholics, the alcoholics don't know that sober feels weird to them. They're so consumed with alcohol and they're so used to it, that's why they drink first thing in the morning. Because actually to feel sober feels wrong. It should be the case with us that to to have a moment outside of him feels wrong. But if they were to say to her, what's the first first message preached? You know, we are not drunk. Why is that not said about the church in the West? Maybe because we focused on doing jumping jacks in worship and not Jesus. Let it be that they say of us, are these people drunk? No, we are not drunk. But this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. In the last days I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That even young Samuel will be consumed by the goodness of God and the prince of God. And we're all known as burning ones. Father, we thank you for the week ahead. Thank you that every single one of us has been exposed to your presence and will continue to be. Father, even the way that we chase these moments, not, not for chasing sake, but because we know it brings intimacy, brings a closeness to you. And that's what we want, Father. That is what we want. We trust you. We thank you for all the opportunities you're going to give for yourself to prove that we have the complete fullness of the Godhead on the inside of us that every single aspect of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been opened up to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 